I think we're taught to borrow money to get instant gratification for things that in the end we don't really want, but we're buying it to impress people that we don't really like. And I just think it's silly, right? But if you flip it on its head and you buy things with debt that are going to produce income for you, then you can increase your income in a way that you would never be able to do if you just only bought things in cash. And I think if you put the appropriate type of debt on it and you watch the ratios and you have a really solid business plan and you feel confident that you can execute it, then you can end up in a really special place. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset Show. This is a podcast about the financial, money, and recreational mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset Show and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Jerome Myers, a.k.a. Jay. He's a developer of people and places. He's the founder and chief inspiration officer of Dreamcatchers and the Myers Development Group. Through these entities, he gets to live out his childhood dreams of helping people manifest the things they imagine and create social proof that dreams should be real. Since leaving corporate America after building a $20 million division, Jay has become one of the most sought-after thought leaders in the multifamily development space. His company, the Myers Development Group, built a multi-million dollar portfolio following the principles of Myers Methods. This success has led him to being featured on top podcasts in his space, and he is an inspiration and someone that people listen to when they are considering real estate. Be sure to pay attention for some helpful tidbits from our conversation. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of being with Jerome Myers, a.k.a. Jay, who's the founder and chief inspiration officer of Dreamcatchers and the Myers Development Group. Thanks for joining us today, Jay. Grateful to be with you, Larry. Thanks for having me, man. It's awesome to connect with other people in other states across the country. And I'm really excited for this interview today. And I wanted to talk to you and have you give the listeners an opportunity because I think it's a great story. Can you tell us about your path to becoming an entrepreneur? Oh, man, it's a wild ride. So first, I think everybody tries to do what they tell you you're supposed to do. Get good grades, get into a great school, go get a good job, work for 40 years. And then, you know, eventually you might be able to retire and enjoy your life. For me, I started climbing the ladder and I think I got pretty close to the top and I looked over and I was like, I'm on the wrong building, totally the wrong <laughs> building. And so what does that mean, Jerome? In plain terms, I was in my last role responsible for building a million division for a Fortune 550 company. And my reward for the 30% profit margins the first year was laying off half of the 175 people that we employed. Wow. And the phone call came like this on Christmas Eve. Hey, Jerome, we're going to lay them off. What do you mean? (laughs) Yeah, we're done. We don't need all these folks. We're going to lay them off. And you should pick the people that you want to stay because somebody else doing it for you may leave you with a team that isn't what you need to do what has to be done in the next year. And this is my first time being the axe man. And I said, okay, this is awful. And I'm going to spend Christmas through New Year's figuring this out. And so I did that. And I made a promise to myself. And the promise was this, Larry. 
I'll never do this again. <laughs> and so you fast forward and a couple of days before Thanksgiving, I'm having a very similar conversation and I'm going in and telling the folks, hey, don't spend your check on Black Friday. I don't know what's going to happen, but you want to make sure you have some cash available. And you don't want to just go spend it thinking that everything is OK because it might not be. That for me was when I said I, I got to do something different. Right? right. I'm making all these operational decisions. But the buck doesn't actually stop with me. And if I'm making all the operational decisions, I think the people decisions should stop with me as well. And that just didn't sit right with me. So I decided that I was going to bet on myself, Larry. I decided that I was just going to strike out and didn't have to build a $20 million business for myself. But if I did too, I'd be okay. Sure. And so we went out and we went back to the shelf where we put the stream up that we had when we were in college. Me and my buddy Duran were sitting on a stoop and we wanted to buy an apartment complex because we were doing some math because that's what engineering students do in their free time. Right. And we figured out that, hey, I was paying three ninety five. I had two roommates doing the same thing. He was downstairs. He was in the same scenario. We multiplied it out around the complex. The guy was making 700 grand a year. We never seen him. We never talked to him. We were like, what in the world is going on here? But the and check got cashed. He absolutely got <laughs> the money every month. And he had third-party property management in place. We're like, this is a phenomenal model. Like He separated his time from the money right? right. with the subscription service. And we're putting it together. But I'm the son of a soldier and stay-at-home mom. We didn't have people who own large real estate coming over to hang out for dinner at my house. You know, My dad worked the Carolina half day. He'd go before six, come back after six, and just did what soldiers did. And so I decided that I was going to try to do that. And I guess I wasn't going to try. I decided I was going to do that. And I found out that I was trying to do it on the backside because when it started knocking on the doors of banks and asking, hey, how does this happen? How Don't you want to give me a million dollar loan is what I really asked. Because right. I got this building I want to buy and I want to be like the guy that I saw in college. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, but you're not the guy that you saw in college. I said, but I built this big business and I had a P&L and profit margins and I'm an MBA and I got my engineering license. Like, aren't those things important to you? You're like, yeah, no, not really. Right. You haven't executed this business plan with the property of the same size. So you're a risk. Well, so how do I get a loan to do this? I've got an 800 credit score and I got money in the bank. You're like, yeah, no, right. you need to go find a partner like the guy that you were trying to be like in college to help show you how to do this thing. That's who we would want to lend to, not to you. And so I heard that story about 10 times. And so I decided that I needed to fix and flip until I could figure it out and grow my network in real estate. And fast forward, eventually we were able to buy that building that I took to wow. the bank. But it was a long road and a bunch of work along the way. But eventually we were able to get it done with the partner the way they told me I had to do it. But I just didn't know how at that point. Sure. Yeah. Listen, you bring up a good point. I think a lot of people talk about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship and say, oh, you know, there's a lot of risk in being an entrepreneur. And there is. There is. Absolutely. There's risk of failure, risk of loss, etc. But at the same time, I think what people fail to realize, just as you experienced, there's just as much risk of being an employee of a business because you have no control over your destiny there. At any given period of time, whether you're the top, top performer, middle of the row or bottom, you're at some risk because if the company has some kind of epiphany that they need to make changes, you could be collateral damage. And I like to say that I think there's just as much risk at being an employee as there is an entrepreneur. They're just different risks. 
I would say I think there's more with being an employee because you serve at will, right? I mean, as an entrepreneur, you're responsible for it. You know you're responsible for it. And so there is no kind of expectation that somebody's going to do something for you or sure. create the opportunity. As an entrepreneur, you know it's on you. And for me, it puts me at peace, right? Mm-hmm. Because I know if I didn't do the work in order to get the thing done, right? Some right. people just want to coast along and kind of ride the wave. But if you're somebody who's high performer, you want to be rewarded based on your effort, not based on somebody's goodwill. I Listen, I agree with you 100%. And before we move on, I want to say this. Thank you for your dad's service. I'm very appreciative, and I'm sure many of our listeners are of military. And thank you and thank him for his service. Real estate, obviously, is a big passion of yours because you talk about it. And when you talk about it, you can tell the excitement that comes in. Where does this interest stem from? Is it simply the fact of a financial motivator that you saw that landlord that you mentioned and you started doing the numbers? And is it a financial thing or is there more to it than that? There's a lot more to it. And it's funny. I'm going to tell the story I've never told on a podcast before. So your listeners are breaking news, breaking news. (laughs) When I was a kid, I used to play in the backyard. I was the only child. So a lot of time I was by myself. And so I decided after making a trip to New York City to see my father's parents or mom, really, that I wanted to be the person that designed the roads and had the build and designed the buildings that the roads led to. Like, I was like, that's what I wanted. And so in the backyard, I, I would build it in dirt and mud and straw. And <laughs> then I take my Tonka trunks and drive to it. And it's like, oh, this is what I want to do. So there was something there as a kid. Right. And fast forward, I started my engineering pursuits as an architectural engineer, which kind of is a mix between architecture and engineering. And then right. I moved over to civil, which were the right degrees to do the things that I said I wanted to do as a kid, even though I didn't know what an engineer was until I was, I think I was a, soft, a junior in high school before I figured out what that was. Right. And so fast forward, we got into the space and initially we thought, yeah, I mean, most of the wealthy people have some money or exposure to real estate. So there's got to be something here. But then I got acquainted with the people, right? And people think about being a landlord as something like it's a position of stature. And I think it's a position of service. I think there is a real opportunity for the folks who are owners of property to make a huge impact in the world. The environment, especially the place that we're in right now, that a person spends the most time in Mm -hmm. is their home. And if you don't provide quality housing for a person, it can lead to tremendous issues and mainly health issues. Right. So when we started going through due diligence and walking through the properties and seeing how people were living in these, what we call C-class properties, right? A is like really nice, really high rent. B is kind of middle of the road. And C is going to be the working class, right? Blue collar folks who go to work every day, don't make a pile of money, but they just want a nice, safe place to live. Sure. And those are, from my perspective, the folks that make the world go round. You know, as my dad rose up through the ranks of the enlisted folks, he wasn't quite working class anymore. He was a little bit better from my perspective. But in the middle, right? Those heroes that we think about, that's where they are. And that's the type of income they make. And that's the type of housing they can afford. And if we're not making sure like the teachers and some of the other folks who retail workers who make the lives of people who are wealthier, more comfortable, if we're not taking care of them, then how on earth are they going to be able to take care of us? 
And so this premise or this thought process of I want to be of service as a owner of property to make sure that people have a great place to live is where we landed. And we want our investments to make an impact. I think that's unbelievable, you know, as far as we are the Midland money mindset. And to me, that was just like a mindset shift on you and your partner's part to say, hey, we're not looking at it this way. Like every other landlord looks at it. We're looking at it as we're serving this group of people and we're going to be helpful and service them and make the world a better place, which I think is very admirable. And if you're making it a profitable entity at the same time, so it's it's almost like a win-win win. I mean, it is a win-win. So that's awesome. And you're doing something you love. Yeah. I think you have to do both. People talk about affordable housing a lot and what's affordable for the resident may not even be affordable for actually running the property. And I think that's the part that's scary for a lot of people who actually own property. It's like, you want me to charge this, but if I charge this, then there is no profit for me and there is no money available for me to make capital improvements. And so you've got to figure out how to balance that. And that's the the line that people are walking when they work in this space. But I- A little bit of a chicken and an egg situation almost. For sure. But I do believe that if you price it right and you operate it well, then there's profit in it for you and people can have a quality place to live. That's great. What other benefits besides the service aspect and the profitability aspect? Are there other benefits that you see from owning and investing in real estate besides those two things? Taxes, right? (laughs) You're incentivized to own real estate for the tax benefits and whether it's participating in opportunity zones, the depreciation bonus. I mean, there's just so many different options and opportunities that are associated with owning real assets. And the other thing that most people probably don't think about is just the cheap money, right? The ability to lever up. You can buy this asset, bring some risk capital, and then have really low interest debt service the rest of it. And then, of course, you have that obligation, but you're able to buy it, let's call it, if you got $100,000, you can buy a $400,000 asset and only bring that 100 in order to get into the deal. So let's talk about that for a minute. I want to go somewhere with that. So I agree with you right now. We're in an environment and we have been for a while and it looks like we're going to continue to be in this low interest rate environment, which allows you to borrow money very cheaply. I'm sure you're aware there are plenty of people out in the blogosphere, in the internet sphere that talk about if you want to be financially secure, you shouldn't have any debt, right? They talk about this zero debt, no debt situation. How do you justify or how do you speak to people like that? I think you and I are probably on the same page with regard to this, but how do you speak to people that say, oh, you shouldn't have any debt? How do you go out and buy a piece of real estate and serve the people you want to serve and not take any debt? I don't know how you do that, but what do you say to folks that preach that type of philosophy? I think it's If you have less obligations, then great, right? But at the end of the day, I don't think it's actually practical. And I do believe that the debt is a benefit, right? If you want to hedge against inflation, then lock in some low interest debt and put your money in a real asset. Like that's what's going to protect you, right? Because the asset price is going to go up and it's not in cash. I do believe that you shouldn't have debt, consumer debt, right? I think we're taught to borrow money to get instant gratification for things that in the end we don't really want, but we're buying it to impress people that we don't really like. 
And I just think it's silly, right? But if you flip it on its head and you buy things with debt that are going to produce income for you, then you can increase your income in a way that you would never be able to do if you just only bought things in cash. And I think if you put the appropriate type of debt on it and you watch the ratios and you have a really solid business plan and you feel confident that you can execute it, then you can end up in a really special place. Now you get in trouble when you over leverage it. And this is right. why we like multifamily instead of single family homes. I watch people buy single family homes with 3% down and now their debt service is over 75% of their income. Well, you do have some expenses, guys. And right. so if you're at 75% of your income tied to your debt and you have expenses, there is no profit. We look to be leveraged at a very low percentage, right? We want to be something less than 35% of our gross potential income when we put our debt on it. And that just puts us in a different space. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And unfortunately, people think of debt as a four-letter word. And in my view, not all debt is created equal, and it's got to be looked at under a specific situation. Consumer debt, typically bad. Education debt may be great because it gives you the potential to earn if you're increasing your knowledge base, et cetera. Like you said, real estate, there are a lot of benefits there. If I'm somebody that's looking to consider delving into real estate, or even if I have some experience, what are the top three things that you would tell folks to consider before either delving in or buying an additional property? Yeah. The real estate is a shiny thing, right? Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to buy the real estate. The real estate's going to pay me. With all investments, it takes some time for it to pay you. It's just like starting a business. If you need money right now, you don't start a business. You go work for somebody, right? Because that's how you turn on the income. You'll have the income in two weeks. And so just realize that depending on the type of real estate, you're buying a business, there's going to be some lag. And I think that's step one. Step two, I think it will be really tied to the fact that once you're in, there is no reset button. And so you have to be willing to do whatever it takes for however long it takes to get through the project so you can get to an exit. And if you're not committed at that level, then don't go in because there's going to be things that you don't expect that happen. There may be expenses that you aren't prepared to cover that come up. And just because you have the plan doesn't mean that the plan is going to work the way that you saw it. And you've got to be flexible in order to go through that. And I think the last thing is realize that the people who live at the property that you invest in are not just dollar signs, right? They are whole people and they need to be treated like people because if you love on the people on the property, that love will be returned back to you. You'll have a great asset that is profitable and growing in value. I believe that you either have geese or alligators when you're in a real estate game. You feed an alligator, it gives you poop. Mm-hmm. Eat a goose, it'll lay you an egg and you can right. eat off the eggs. And I don't think you really want to eat the poop from the alligator. So, but you got to love on the goose. Right. And if you take care of the, t- like you said, if you take care of the people that are in the house, in turn, like you said, they'll love on you, which hopefully means they take care of your property while they're living there, which only increases the value and maintains and lowers your overall cost of maintaining it over time, which is great. So if you're somebody who can feel comfortable with those three criteria or those top three things that you laid out. Does anybody who's able to do that or should they think about investing in real estate or are there certain characteristics in addition to that that a person should have before they start exploring real estate as an option? I think the biggest one that I didn't mention there that I think is super important is patience. 
right? You're going to have some things and they don't happen as fast as you want them to happen. And that patience is going to be the thing that allows you to get through. And a great example is this. Most people have the hardest time going from no deal to their first deal and they get frustrated. They want it to happen. They're trying to force it. And if they're not patient, then they'll swing at a ball and like I'll use my baseball reference, right? It's a ball. The, the umpire is going to call it a ball. You're swinging at it anyway. You're chasing it and you're going to get in a place where you lose money instead of waiting for a strike. The great thing about real estate is there's no call strikes out, right? You can wait until you get the right pitch and then you hit that pitch. The thing is, you just have to be patient enough to make sure that you're clear about what you want. And then when it comes, you hit it. Or when you find it, you take advantage of it. It's so funny. As you're telling that baseball story, I'm thinking about conversations I've had specifically with clients who are looking to invest in real estate and having these similar conversations where they find that property that fits all the boxes that they want. They love it. And then they either get into a bidding war or there's some contingencies and then they start getting upset. And my answer to them was, listen, if this doesn't work out, there'll be another one. It may take you a little while, but there's always another piece of real estate. And I think the patience thing when it comes to real estate is extremely important for that reason. And like you said, I've invested in several real estate situations and they always cost more than you expect. The renovations, whatever you're looking to do to the properties always take longer and cost more money than you ever expect. So I always tell people, pad whatever you think it is going to be by 20 to 30% on the time side and on the cost side, because it's not going to cost and take the time you think it's going to take. It's always more. I don't know. Have you ever seen a situation that actually went through exactly as planned cost and time-wise? I've had a couple of projects that did, but you're a lucky guy. <laughs> it's definitely not the norm. And people, when they're starting out, they don't have a norm, right? No baseline. Yeah. Yeah. There isn't a norm. And so you're just picking numbers out the air and you're guessing. And if anybody tells you anything different, they're just not being honest with you. Yeah. It's a total guess and you have to be willing to ride it. And if you're not willing to ride it, it's not for you. Go buy stock so you can exit it when you get frustrated at the bottom. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so I think this is a good segue. So you and your company help people looking to get involved in real estate. Do you help them navigate these landmines that we're discussing right now? Yeah. So we do a couple of things. We've got an education company that helps people get the knowledge. I think every investor is working to overcome four challenges. The first one is knowledge. The next one is deal flow, followed by experience. And then the last one's capital. And I think you have to solve in that order. Knowledge, deal flow, experience, capital. Most people go to the, oh, I don't have any money. This isn't like buying a widget low and then selling the widget high. Of course, you want to buy it at the right cost basis, but there's so much more that goes into it. And if you do it right, it might potentially be a team situation. And so maybe you're bringing something other than the capital to the deal. So I encourage people not to X themselves out because they don't have a ton of cash sitting in the bank. We help with the knowledge and the exposure to people who have experience piece, because those were the two things that were missing for Duran and I when we were sitting on the stoop. So we wanted to build something for us. And so we've got a conference that we run each year. It's going to be March 19th through the 21st. It's virtual. We'll have international speakers coming to share. And there's no sales pitch. There's just straight on education and stories from the operators who are actually doing the business. So people can get a feel for what it's like to actually do the business. I think a lot of people go in doe-eyed and think <laughs> it's this 
grand thing that is super luxurious and a lot of it isn't, right? So we want people to have a firm understanding of what that actual experience is. And then we give them the tools, techniques, and tactics that they would need to take that next step. And then the other thing we have is a a Facebook group that's closed where we have networking events on news on Friday. I'll get in do a little bit of teaching and do some Q&A and then let people meet and greet with other folks on, on this cool platform that we have. And then, they, of course, they can connect within the Facebook group with those folks. But everybody there has raised their hand and they either own, they want to own, or they just want to give back because they've been doing it for a while and they've got experience or capital that maybe they want to put to work. So you basically just created this huge think tank surrounding real estate investing, which is great because, again, I think people have a lot of preconceived notions about it, especially those who haven't done it before. And like you said, it's very difficult to make and take that first step. Once you do, and once you do your first real estate deal, it makes it that much easier because you know a lot of the landmines because they're very similar in a lot of regards. And it's a very repeatable process. And a lot of the same landmines end up happening over and over again. Don't you agree? Without question. And when we were going through this, I didn't really get it. And my buddy said, hey, we're using the Myers methods. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, Myers method. Think about it. We do the same thing every time we buy a new deal. I was like, well, what is it? He said, find, fun, fix, and flip, right? It's that simple. We find the deals, we figure out how we're going to get them paid for and put the business plan together. And then we execute that business plan. And then we harvest the equity either by refinancing or selling it. Like, that's pretty There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Listen, you had a great partner. You have a great partner. So that's very important sometimes to fill in those areas where you may be overlooking. And it sounds like you guys make a great team. And one of the things that I really liked about you before we met even is that you use the term fiduciary and you've used it often. And that's a term that's used in my industry all the time. There are people in our industry overall that are fiduciaries and are not. And it's always blown my mind to some degree that an industry where we're serving people, in most cases, we're serving to assist them with their life savings, all the money that they've accumulated for retirement, trying to get them to that point where they can turn the paycheck off from getting a paycheck at work to creating an income stream from their investments. And the fact that people in our industry don't have to be fiduciaries is crazy to me. I'm glad that I am one and I represent one. But why do you feel advisors in any industry, because we talked about this a little bit the other day, should be held to the fiduciary standard? Why are you so passionate about that? Yeah, I've just watched so many people get taken advantage of, Larry. And I don't think people actually understand when they're getting into these arrangements, whether or not the person is working for them in their best interest or trying to do what's best for them, right? When somebody trusts you to serve them, They want you to work in their best interest. And if it's not delineated on whether or not that's what you're doing, then it muddies the water. And then a person, our potential clients, walk away feeling taken advantage of. And I don't think anybody should ever feel taken advantage of when it comes to the money piece. I think they should be explained all the risk. I think they should know if I am trying to make as much money and how I get compensated. And if that works for them or not, but I want them to make that decision before we begin the arrangement, because if you do it in the middle of it, it's an opportunity to really be flustered and frustrated. And that's just not fair to anybody. If I deliver right. tremendous value for you, you should be glad to compensate me the way that we agreed to before we got down the road. And if I don't deliver for you, 
we should know how I'm going to be compensated. Sometimes people get paid no matter what. And that's okay if that's what you agree to. But we need to make sure that you understand the risks that are associated with it. And this is why I talk about those four things, right? The knowledge, deal flow, experience, capital. If you don't have the knowledge, you're going to get taken advantage of every single time, right? And the capital that you have is going to go in somebody else's pocket and you'll be left with some experience, even if it's not experience, that's going to bring you more capital. Right. That's just no fun. That's no fun for anybody who has experienced that. Yeah. And I think the fact that if we were all kind of held to that fiduciary standard, I'm all for full transparency, full disclosure, because my feeling is whether it's your industry, real estate, whether it's my industry or any industry, it really raises the bar and the level of professionalism for that given industry if everybody's working in that capacity. I think that's fair. I have a buddy who's out in California who helps raise money for real estate deals and he went and got his license, right? He wanted to show everybody that he is a fiduciary and he goes a step further. He won't put his money of clients in a deal until he has went into a deal with his own money with that person. And I mean, there's just so many different ways that folks can differentiate themselves. But again, if a person isn't telling you that specifically they're interested in working on your behalf and in your interest ahead of theirs, then you're probably going to end up in a really precarious situation that you don't enjoy. Agreed. So listen, what's the next steps for Jay and Myers Method and Myers Development Group or Dreamcatchers? What's the next step for you? Yeah, I mean, we are really excited about 120 unit development that we're working on here in Greensboro, North Carolina. We expect to break ground at the end of 2021 on that. We really want to help educate more people related to multifamily investing. We think it's a great vehicle. It should be some exposure for everybody within their portfolio, from my perspective, whether they're passive or active. And between those two things, I think we're going to be pretty engaged and pretty involved in the niche that is going to allow people to create generational wealth, right? When you own these assets, it's not like a job, right? My W-2, I spent all that time building a $20 million division and my reward financially was a $30,000 bonus, right? If I was building something for myself, then it would be very different and it would be something that maybe I could give to my daughters. And that's part of what we're doing here. We're building a company so that we have holdings that I can share with Kay and Leah when I'm no longer here and they can do what they talk about now where they say, daddy, so we buy these apartments. So we have an income stream so that if we don't want to work at something because it pays well, we can go do something else. And that was one piece of misinformation that my mom gave me when I was five. She said, hey, baby, I wanted to be a trash man because Lonnie would come home every day at like three o'clock and he got to pull the lever. You seen the trash man pull the lever, right? And that thing for me was super exciting. So I wanted to pull the lever and I wanted to be off at like three o'clock so I could be at home and play with my kids since my dad was working six to six. And my mom told me, baby, that's not going to give you the lifestyle you want to live, right? Trash men make whatever. And this goes back to the people who are living in our properties, right? They're service workers. And so she told me I needed a job that was going to pay. And today I know that I needed an income stream and I'm stealing from you, right? You need an income stream. And I want to turn that income stream on as early as possible. I want to make it run and become a river so that I have the freedom and flexibility where I'm not trading my time for money. That for me is super exciting and helping other people unlock that 
is what I think I've been placed here to do. I agree. And that's very admirable and a a great goal and a great thing that you're striving for. And we'll be looking forward to watching you and getting towards uh, achieving that. So Jay, we end every show by asking everybody the same question because this is the Midland Money Mindset. What did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Yeah, I ran six miles this morning. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. It was cold up here, but not by you, I guess. It's okay. It was 24 with the wind chill down to 18. Oh, really? So that's very cold by you. Yeah, it was cold. And you still did the whole six miles? All six. I bet you were very wide awake when you came back after that one. Yeah, it's a normal occurrence. Yesterday, there was snow on the ground. Today, the snow was gone, but the ground was as froze as could be. But you know, at the end of the day, you got to do something that's a little tough. You got to do something tough every morning to let the world know that I'm here and I'm not scared of whatever you have to offer and I'm going to own it and I'm just going to keep going and there's nothing you can do to stop me. And so that put me in the right mindset so I could come serve you and your listeners today. And I just want to inspire them to make sure that they make their dreams a reality. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time, Jay. If people want to learn more about you and what you do, what's the best place for them to go? And we'll have this information in the show notes as well. Yeah, JeromeMyers.co. And make sure you do M-Y-E-R-S. Some people like that extra E. That's not me. JeromeMyers.co. And you can find out about all the stuff we have going on. We've got some great things. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Jay. And remember, make it a great day. Thanks, Larry. I want to thank Jerome Myers, a.k.a. Jay, for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset Show. Jay is living out what most people desire out of their life, which is achieving his childhood dreams. After a successful stint in corporate America, but realizing he was not enjoying his life as much as he should, he made a change. This change has allowed him to live the lifestyle he wants to and add tremendous value and inspiration to others. A true win-win. Jay can be found across all social media platforms and all of his contact information needed to find him can be found in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, be sure to smash that subscribe button. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandfinancial.com and be sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content. And listen, please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. Be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about the mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.